0: Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter fourteen. Our main text is going to be Matthew chapter fifteen today, but we want to just pick up the last few verses where we left off last week. Matthew fourteen verse thirty-four. Matthew fourteen thirty-four. That can be found on page eight twenty if you're using the black Bibles. What we're going to see here at the end of chapter 14 really will kind of prepare us for the theme of chapter 15, because here at the end of 14, Jesus is is in a Gentile area and he's healing many Gentiles, and you'll notice the text says he's he's as he heals them, he's touching them, which again to the Jew would 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 have rendered him unclean, but yet we know Jesus is not uh, rendered unclean; rather, they become clean, and then it's that very theme of. Uh, defilement and, and what makes a person unclean before the Lord, that's what chapter 15 is going to be about. All right, so if you're able, I'd ask you to stand once again, please, in honor of God's word. Please follow as I read Matthew 14, 34 through verse 20 of chapter 15. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched him, touched it were made well. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Suppose you were having some health problems and eventually you found yourself going to a heart doctor. And they run some tests, bring you in then to discuss the results and the the heart doctor says to you, you know, um, I got to say the tests show that like all your arteries are 95% clogged and, and your valves are leaking. And, and so we need to take some, some drastic measures. I'm recommending procedures to get those arteries cleared out and to, you know, surgery to repair the valves. So that's the report you've been given. But now imagine if you were to say to your doctor, no, doc, you know, I think that's okay. What, rather than do that... I think I'm just going to go buy some new clothes. <laughs> what kind of look would you get from your doctor, right? New clothes? How's that going to help anything, right? No, no, I, I, think, I think getting some new outfits will really just m- make me feel better. I think that will really help my health. Right? You see how silly that is, right? But yet that's, that's the very approach... That many take when it comes to their spiritual health. That's the very thing that we see the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes um, were doing and had even legislated for the people to do in their walk with God. And that's the topic then that um, we're going to be dealing with today. So the title of the sermon today is Focus on Your Heart. That's the title of the message and that is really the takeaway today focus on your heart. And of course, when I say heart, I'm not talking about like what Disney says about your heart, you know. I mean, I'm talking about the Bible says your heart is is the control center of your life. It is it's the seat of your emotions, yes, also your will, your intellect, your affections, all those things. It's it's really who you are. It's who you are. It's the real you. Not not what you pretend to be, not what the picture you give? No, it's it's who you are. Okay, and so the message, the takeaway is focus on your heart. So I'm going to go through verses one through twenty of chapter fifteen under three headings, and the headings are not super important. They're more just kind of ways I kind of organized it in my mind. But if if that helps you, I'll just mention them. But um, but we'll just kind of work our way through there, and then at the end we want to really try to apply that theme of focusing on our heart. So heading number one, I, I listed as wrong focus. Wrong focus. The Pharisees are focused on externals, but we're going to see their hearts are far from God. So as we enter chapter 15, we're, we're reminded that the opposition against Jesus uh, from the Jewish religious leaders is in continuing to grow, right? We've already seen this several times in Matthew, uh, Jesus butting heads with the with the Pharisees, but now we see things start to be anted up, ratcheted up, because notice, now here in, in verse 1 of chapter 15, we've got a delegation of Pharisees and scribes, look at what it says, verse 1, from Jerusalem. See, Jesus is still ministering in Galilee, some, which was, you know, was a s- smaller town, some 90 miles away from Jerusalem, but now we've got, uh, <laughs> things are getting so serious, the opposition is getting so intense, uh, the, the religious leaders are, are getting so concerned about Jesus's growing popularity and how he's discounting their authority that they send an official delegation from the headquarters, from Jerusalem. It's like they've sent in the big guns here, right? The big guns to confront Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees here want to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people thereby silencing his ministry. So they bring their charge in verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And again, I mean, the, the times that we're in, right, it's kind of humorous. You know, when we hear this verse, we start thinking about COVID and CDC guidelines or something, right? But this is not a hygiene thing that they're bringing up. No, they're, they're talking about ceremonial purity. In the Old Testament, among other things, God commanded the priests to wash their hands and their feet before they performed their duties in the temple. And of course, this was to picture and emphasize the truth that, that God is holy, man is sinful, and, and, and man cannot come into God's presence without cleansing. Of course, that cleansing would ultimately be through Christ, right? Which was even what the animal sacrifices were pointing toward. But that was commanded in the Old Testament for. The priests, okay, for the priests to do that. But what, by the time we get to Matthew, by the time we get to Jesus' day, what had happened was the religious leaders had applied this, this rule to, to all Jews. They had said everyone needs to do this, these hand-washing rituals in order to stay ceremonially clean. And Mark's account tells us that the Pharisees also observed other, it wasn't just washing the hands, they were washing their, their cups and their bowls and their copper vessels and their, their dining couches, <laughs> right? Uh, so this ceremonial washing is an example of the tradition of the elders. Notice that's what they bring up at the beginning. It's kind of like uh, the hand washing is just case in point. Notice they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders. Let's talk about what that is. We've, I think we've discussed it before, but the tradition of the elders was the oral tradition that the religious leaders had developed and handed down orally, obviously, to, to the people, right? To, to, from generation to generation. And so what, what this was is these became the rules that people were to live by. And, and what they did was they took the commands of God, the commands of the Old Testament, the religious leaders did this. They would take those commands and then add to them. They would, they would make them even more strict. They would increase the rules. And then that was their tradition. So like if the Bible said, I mean, this is, this is a, not a real example, but if the Bible said, hey, you got to stay three feet away from that thing, the, the elders would say, okay, well, just to be safe, I think we better stay 10 feet away from that thing, right? You know, and now that's the law. That's the rule, right? And so that was their tradition. And in theory, um, so by the way, that's what they've done with the hand washing. See, again, it was just priests who were supposed to do this as as they're getting ready to perform their duties in the temple. But the elders said, no, everybody needs to do this all the time, okay, to stay ceremonially clean. Now, in theory, to be fair, I think the original intent of the religious leaders, right? The, the original intent of this oral tradition was um, the purity, purity of the people and reverence for God, right? I think they were trying to take the, the Old Testament commands and apply it to the details of life. But they would go over, overboard, and this is what we see Jesus confronting them on is you guys have gone so overboard and you're so unloving in, the applic- in your interpretation plus your application of these commands uh, and, and you become so strict and, and stringent that God's original intent in the law has been, has been perverted. It's been lost. It's been distorted. And if you remember back in chapter 12, we saw this um, come up with the issue of the Sabbath remember? Obviously, yes, the Sabbath is in the Old Testament. It's part of the the Decalogue. It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? But they had taken the Sabbath and, and, and tried to apply it to the very details of life. Okay, that means you can't do this and you can't walk this far and you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And they had made it such a burden on the people that the original heart of the law, the original spirit behind the law was, was all but lost, right? It was meant to be a time of, of blessing and reflection and, and, and worship to, to the Lord and rest and rejuvenation. But no, it just become this huge burden. And that's what, that was the big confrontation in chapter 12 when Jesus says, you know, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, right? I'm going to rescue the Sabbath and, and back to its original intent and I'm disregarding your oral traditions, well, the same thing is happening here. Um, he, Jesus is, is, is coming head to head with their oral tradition. That's what this confrontation here in chapter 15 is ultimately about. Notice his disciples breaking the tradition of the elders. And obviously they're going to Jesus because they know the disciples wouldn't be doing this unless Jesus had told them to. <laughs> right? or, and, and so they're, they're going to the teacher and they're saying, why are your disciples Breaking the tradition of the elders. In other words, Jesus, why are you not recognizing the authority and the validity of our traditions? And again, these are the religious leaders saying this. And Jesus is going to show them just like he has before. You're right, I don't recognize the validity of your tradition. You guys have mishandled God's word. You've wrongly elevated your traditions to the level of God's word. That's what they we're doing, right? We're going to see that. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not going to follow your traditions and my disciples are not going to follow your traditions. Okay, so that's the situation we have here. The big wigs from, from Jerusalem have confronted Jesus. But notice in verse 3, Jesus immediately turns the tables on them. Why, and why do you, Jesus says to them, break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? See, he's, he's getting at how, how they've totally created an idol out of this thing. He brings his own accusation that they break the clear commands of God so that their man-made rules can be kept. And then he gives an example, case in point, verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. Right? That's a clear command in the Old Testament. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's in the Old Testament. But you say, he's saying to the Pharisees and scribes, and now he's quoting to them what their tradition was, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or his mother. So Jesus says, so for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, he's calling them out on one of their traditions, which was called the Law of Corbin, Corban. C-O-R-B-A-N. Corban means dedicated to God, okay? And, and according to their tradition at this time, they had said, okay, you can, you can say, I'm dedicating all my, my resources, all my assets, I'm dedicating to the Lord. And so that means when I die, it all gets transferred to the temple or whatever, right? To the, to the work of the Lord. And a person could do that. It's, it's kind of like, I guess, you, know, you can even do that today with ministries, basically, right? Kind of write them into your will. And so they would do that, and they'd say, yes, when I die, it's all dedicated to the Lord. Of course, I can use it now for myself, right, and for my personal needs and, and whatever, lifestyle. And what they had done is they, they would do this by, and they had created a loophole around the clear command to honor your father and your mother. Because let's say, let's say I had done that, right? And then now let's say, you know, my, my, my mom, like she is, is a widow, right? And she needs care. She needs, she needs resources. She needs uh, us to take her in or provide for her. Well, because of my greed, greedy heart, because of my selfish heart, I can say, oh, sorry, can't do that. I can't do that because all my resources have already been, or they're already spoken for. All my resources are dedicated to the Lord. So I can't take care of my my widowed mom. You see? And and so they had made up this whole thing of dedication, you know, this law of Corbin. And, And in doing so, they violated what God had clearly said to honor your father and your mother, which certainly involves taking care of them in their times of need, right? So Jesus says, you guys, well, look at what he says, verse 7. I mean, either he says, for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You're, you're breaking the commandments of God, verse 3. And then in verse 7, he says, he sternly rebukes them. You hypocrites. You guys are hypocrites. You guys are actors. You pretend to be holy, but, and you say one thing, but you're really doing something completely different. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said... This is Isaiah 29. Um, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, applies it to to this situation, to their generation right now, and says, you guys are doing the same thing. You guys are hypocrites. You're claiming to worship God. You're claiming to be holy. You're claiming to be set apart for God. But you're really just worshiping yourself. You're really just looking out for yourself. You're really most concerned about your own rules, not the clear commands of God. Right? The Pharisees appeared to be holy. I mean, think about it. You know, they were going through and, you know, oh, we must wash our hands and we must do this and we must do that. And, and, you know, all the different getup they had on, right? They appear to be real holy and proper. But in, in reality, their hearts were, they weren't thinking about God. They were thinking about their power, their status, their following, and, and what they can gain out of all of this, right? And so he says, you guys are hypocrites. Your hearts are, you, you honor me. You say the right things. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount when he's teaching his disciples uh, and any who would follow him how to pray. He's like, don't be like the, the hypocrites, Who stand and say all these wonderful things, you know, but just to be noticed by men, and that's what that's that was the whole lifestyle of the Pharisees in their in their worship and in everything they did. It was so that they looked holy before men, but in reality, they weren't thinking about God; they were thinking about themselves. So this is a this is a a strong rebuke. And again, the opposition is just growing to a head here, isn't it? Because again, these are the the, the main guys from Jerusalem, right? Um, so now that he's, he's confronted, Jesus has confronted them, right, in verses uh, 7, 8, and 9, and now he sees this as a teachable moment because obviously there's other people gathered around here. So in verse 10, he calls the people to himself, right, <laughs> you know, and says, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. See, because again, the issue that they had brought up is, oh, you guys are eating with, with unwashed hands, right? You know, you're not ceremonially clean. And now, because you've done, done that, now you're eating, now you're defiling yourself before God. And so he's taking that, that il- case that they brought up and said, no, that's not what defiles a person. Not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. That makes a person unclean before God. That's what you should be concerned about. So the Pharisees had the wrong focus. The wrong focus, excuse me. They were focused on externals, but their hearts were far from God. Second heading I had was wrong leaders. Because they had the wrong focus, they're the wrong leaders. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So it's kind of like, you know, we've had this confrontation, right? And I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, this is awkward, right? Because, I mean, these are, they were kind of in awe of the Pharisees, right? You know, these were the, again, the the bigwigs from Jerusalem. And so now here Jesus had this confrontation. He's called them out in front of everybody now with this teaching. And, and I'm sure they, they went off in a huff and a puff, right, the Pharisees. And so the disciples are like, you know, you just... <laughs> You got yourself in hot water, Jesus. (laughs) They were offended. Look at what Jesus says, verse 13. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Again, pretty clear, isn't it? Saying those guys are not the true shepherds of God's people. They're, they're blind guides. Don't, don't worry about what they think. Don't, don't be afraid of them. You need to follow me and, and follow God's word. Right? So that was a huge paradigm shift for the disciples. Um, and again, it's just highlighting this, this growing opposition that is obviously going to come to a head um, in, in the chapters to come. All right, now that enters into the third section here, verses 15 through 20, the last section, and I call this the root problem. The root problem is that our sinful hearts separate us from God, right? Remember, the Pharisees were focused on the wrong thing, and now Jesus is going to explain what we should be focused on, what we should be concerned about, what the root problem really is. Verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. It's kind of like we saw back in chapter thirteen when he was giving all these parables, right? He would say some things in public, and then, um, then you know, the disciples would get to have this kind of private um, instruction time, this private audience with Jesus, and that's what is happening here. Uh, the, the disciples initiate it. Verse sixteen, he says, "Are you still? Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth?" Passes into the stomach and is expelled. I mean, he's being, you know, just pretty straightforward, right? He's like, I mean, think about it, guys. What happens to the food that you eat? It, you know, it does its thing, right? It's, it's, it, God, your body uses it and then it gets rid of it. That, so that's not going to make you unclean before God. Rather, verse 18, what, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Remember, your heart is who you really are. Your heart is, is what you're thinking, and, and, and it's, it's the control center. It's what <laughs> tells you, or, I mean, it, it's what leads you to do what you do, right? And so he says, for out of the heart, he just starts giving some examples. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Why do you think on things that are evil? Because of the sin in your heart. Murder." adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, right? All these sins, all these uh, broken commandments of the Lord come, why? Because of your sinful heart. These are what defile a person, verse 20. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. He kind of circles back around to the original occasion that brought all this up, right? So he's showing them the root problem is our Hearts, our hearts are sinful. It's not things from the outside like food that make a person unclean before God. No, it's our actions, it's our attitudes that defile us because they have, they come from our heart and the Bible teaches our heart is in open rebellion before God. Let me just read to you a couple of verses and there's certainly plenty more that speak to this. Jeremiah 17.9 says, "...the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick." Some translations say wicked, right? Who can understand it? Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. "...as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless." No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's describing a sinful heart apart from the saving work of Christ. That's de- describing our hearts that are by nature bent toward rebellion against God. And so Jesus is saying, what defiles you, what makes you unclean is your heart. Yes, we have a problem, but our problem is not that we're, we're not following some ticky-tack rule of the Pharisees. No, our problem by nature is within, uh, within us. Our problem is us. Our problem is our sinful hearts. So the scribes and the Pharisees, again, have the wrong focus. They thought that to being pure before God was about conforming outwardly to man-made rules and traditions and rituals, and they failed to grasp the depravity of their own heart, that, that within themselves their heart was tainted with sin. And so, again, the Bible says in that, passage I just read a few verses later, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our root problem is our hearts, our sinful hearts that separate us from God. The Bible says because our hearts are sinful by nature, because our hearts are wicked and in rebellion against our Creator, that we stand separated before Him. That we stand guilty before Him. That God is is holy and just and He must punish that sin and, and so we are in danger of receiving that eternal punishment with the condition of our hearts. We need our hearts cleansed. We need new hearts. We need our sin forgiven. We need to be reconciled back to God. But how does that happen? And again, I go back to the the, the theme of the sermon is we've got to focus on our hearts so many people unfortunately today are like the pharisees they sense that there's something wrong between them and god and so what do they do they, they try to get busy uh doing outward things they, they try to get busy doing um things that will hopefully make them look good before God, hopefully will clean them up before God. They start going to church or start trying to get religious in some way or start trying to be kind to to people or helping people or all in an effort to make themselves right with God. They think, oh, if I go to church and if I try to do what's right, then maybe God will let me into heaven. Many people, and maybe some here today, have that wrong mindset, that wrong way of thinking, that if I focus on externals, that will make me right with God. But God's word is so clear, friends. God's word tells us that conforming to outward rules and traditions will never make us right with a holy God because they do not deal with the root problem, and that is our sinful heart that is in rebellion against God again by nature we have it's not just that we sin and break god's commands although we do but it's because it's also that by nature our very hearts are bent toward rebellion against god by very nature our hearts are bent toward bent inward toward self worship rather than worship of almighty god our creator And so we need our sins forgiven, and we need new hearts in order to be with God forever in heaven. And those are things we cannot do ourselves. Right? Did you catch that? We need our sins forgiven, and we need new hearts. And we can't do that ourselves, no matter how many rules we try to keep. And that's where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, in his love and grace, has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, new hearts, that perfect righteousness that we need is only found in Jesus Christ. These are gifts of God's grace given to us through faith in Christ alone. That's the gospel. That God, in his love and grace, forgives all of our sin and accepts Christ's death on the cross as paying the penalty that our sins deserved, and then that God credits Christ's perfect obedience to our account while giving us a new heart with his spirit living inside of us. That's what God does, the Bible says, for all who believe, for all who are united to Christ in faith. Sins forgiven, righteousness given, new heart, Holy Spirit reconciled to God. Adopted into God's family even. That's the gospel. That's the the beauty of God's love and grace. That though we're unclean before him, though we've rebelled against him, he is the one that has provided for our, our salvation. He is the one that has provided us to be cleansed. And so if there's any here today who... Again, you wouldn't have called yourself a Pharisee, and I understand that. But you're, you have that mindset. You're relying on your own good works. You're relying on, you're relying on externals, whatever they might be, or, or whatever it is. You're relying on something other than Christ alone to make you right with God. Maybe you're relying on the fact that, that you grew up in the church. Maybe you're relying on the fact that your parents are Christians. Maybe you're relying on the fact that, again, you try to be a nice person. If you're relying on anything other than Christ alone... Please understand, that will never work. You you cannot be cleansed that way. But you can find eternal cleansing, permanent cleansing, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ alone. And so the Bible says, forsake your sin, turn from your sin, and cry out to God to save you on account of Christ. Ask God to cleanse you of your sins through Christ. Ask God to give you a new heart. And the Bible promises, God's word promises that to all who do that, he will forgive. He he will cleanse. He will um, regenerate. He will give a new heart. He will adopt you into his family. He will come to live inside you by his spirit. You'll have the assurance and peace of knowing that you are reconciled to God. And that you will get to live with him forever in heaven. That's the only answer to our root problem. Is Christ. In Christ alone. And then there's a message here for Christians as well. Right? That we need to, as Christians, even as those who've been forgiven, even those who've been given new hearts. And, and we know that we'll be with God forever. We still need to focus on our hearts. Right? Because as, as Christians, we, we too, I... I testified to this a month or so ago in my own life, right? We're, toned, we're, we're still um, tend to gravitate toward this externalism, right? Toward externals in our relationship with God. Just, just give me a list of rules so I can follow. What are the motions I'm supposed to be going through? We can fall back into that in our relationship with God. But by God's grace, let us instead focus on our hearts. God is calling us today, Christian, to cultivate an intimate relationship with God from the heart, to worship God from the heart, not formal externalism, not empty religion, but rather relating to God from our very heart, reading our Bibles because we want to know God, praying to God from the heart, just talking with him, just just humbly, like a child, declaring our need for him. No, nothing formal. No hoops that we're jumping through. Just relating to God. Singing to God from the heart. Longing to, to live for God. Not, not to earn favor with him. He's already bestowed his favor by grace. But rather just to, just to bring him glory. Glory. I pray that we will cultivate a relationship with God from the heart. And I want to just spend another minute or two to expound on that. Focusing on my heart, right? That's what I'm calling us to do. Focus on your heart. That means that I realize that my greatest hindrance to holiness is me. My greatest hindrance to holiness is me. Yes, we live in a fallen world, and yes, temptations abound. But what is it that draws me to those temptations? It's the sin in my heart, right? And so I I maintain, even as a Christian, I maintain this humble, dependent spirit (laughs) of living by grace and and, and crying out to God for, for his help. I desperately need God's grace to guard my heart and to put to death indwelling sin by the power of the Spirit. So, in my walk with God, I need to be dealing with my heart. As I confess sin, right? And that's something we're all to be doing, right? <laughs> Daily, really. Right? As, every time we spend time with God, just confessing sin or as the Spirit convicts us in, throughout the day, confessing sin. But as I do that, I need to dig deeper, especially as I start to see patterns in my life and dig deeper and say, you know, why is it that I, why? Why is it that I'm so easily angered? Why is it that I'm, 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 I'm always anxious? I know those are sins and I can, I can confess that and mean that, but, but why? What's going on in my heart? These questions will help us dig deeper. Again, depending on what the situation was. What was I wanting? What am I afraid of? What was I trusting in? We need to take the time to spend the time before God to ask those questions. And as we keep digging, prayerfully asking questions like that or even more questions, why is that thing so important to me? That thing that I got angry about when I didn't get it. Or that thing that I'm coveting about that I don't have. Why is that so important to me? How have I lost sight of God and the gospel? You see, these are the kinds of heart work we need to be doing as believers. Right? And obviously, we depend on the Spirit. It's the Spirit that knows our hearts better than even we do. Right? But we do that in reliance on the Spirit. We, we miss out on opportunities for the Spirit to grow us if we're just constantly like, yeah, I'm sorry I was mad. I'm sorry I got angry at you. And I'm sorry I was a jerk to you. Or I'm sorry. And we never dig any deeper. And that's why we often find ourselves doing it again and again and again. So let's focus on our hearts in, in our own walk with God. parents, please focus on the heart's of your kids in your parenting, right? Shepherd the hearts of your kids. Probably several of you have read that book. It's been a while since I've read it. We have some on the back there in that in that uh, cabinet that are free for the taking. Those things that are back there are free. These you check out, those are free back there. Take it, parents. Read it. Shepherd the hearts of your kids. We have a tendency, and again... It's just, I guess it's just our sin uh, that remains that causes us to do this. We have a tendency to raise little Pharisees, right? Because we focus on externals. We focus on their outward behavior. Quit doing that. You're, you're going to embarrass me. I got to look good in front of people or whatever, or, or, or just I just want some peace and quiet. Quit doing that. And so we, we discipline the, the, the behavior that's annoying us, that, that is probably sin or whatever, but we don't go to the heart, and we don't help them go to the heart, you see? We can't just focus on outward behavior. When we train and discipline, we need to bring it back, help them bring it back to what's going on in their hearts, help them see why they, why they disobeyed, right? You're talking to, to them, with, with them about that on, on their level. And again, that's the, all of, you're doing all of that as a way to bring the gospel to them. You're helping them see that they, that they like mommy and daddy, <laughs> are sinners who need a Savior, right? And Jesus is that Savior. Those are great opportunities, but we need to be intentional. And again, we, man, we... We make so many mistakes in parenting, and God is gracious. But let us be intentional and in this, in this watch and pray be amazed at what the Spirit will do. So in closing, Abounding Grace Church, God is seeking to transform us from the inside out through the finished work of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. God is seeking to transform us from the inside out through the finished work of Christ by the power of the Spirit. This is a lifelong process that we walk step by step continually depending on God's grace. And so focusing on our, focusing on our hearts means that we will guard our hearts with all vigilance for from them flow the springs of life, Proverbs 4.23 And that means through the means of grace, I will keep pouring the gospel into my heart so that by the power of the Spirit, Christ-like thoughts and words and actions will flow out for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please help us to be that kind of church. Father, we praise you that you have given us new hearts, that you've come to live inside us by your spirit. And I pray that the cry of our heart would be to follow Christ and to be close to him all the days of our lives. And Father, you see and know our hearts. We praise you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so as we seek to focus on the heart, we need your word. We need your word abiding in us. Father, I pray that you would give new hearts to those that are here today who are still dead in their sins. Show them, Lord, the the futility, the, the impotency of externalism. But then point them to the glorious, finished work of Jesus Christ. And Father, please work on the hearts of of us, your people. Please protect us against having the spirit of the Pharisee. Please help us to focus our hearts uh, on you by the power of the spirit. Father, please grow us and change us and, and may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please, and let's praise the Lord.